Hello and welcome to the best of WonderPod. This is number five in the best of series. Uh, the crew was otherwise detained this week. We couldn't get a schedule worked out and your jackass producer was too busy playing Vigima games to bother with uh, putting together something other than a best of show. This time around, I figured I would take cuts from some of the most downloaded episodes. Our first clip comes to us from episode 104, where we discuss all the next-gen console rumors. You know, the consoles that became the PS4, the Xbox One, the Wii U. A lot of the rumors are sound familiar, and it's interesting to see what we got right and what we didn't. Enjoy the clip. Uh, our discussion topic this week, if you pay any attention to gaming news at all, you've seen zillions and zillions of rumors about the next generation of consoles. By my estimation, none of them, not many of them are pretty. Um, from the Wii U being less powerful than my ancient TI-84 calculator to always on DRM to no use games to, and, and all these other rumors that just don't make it sound like the next generation is going to be very gamer-centric or gamer-friendly. So my question to you, gentlemen, and Glycinator will start with you, uh, is there going to become a point where you're just going to go, no, I'm going to find some other method of gaming? I know it's heresy for me to even mention you becoming a PC gamer, but but is there a line in the sand for you where it's just no more? I just I'm not putting up with this crap. Well, originally with me it was DLC was the line, but I am a real I am a realist and I realize that that wish is not going to happen. Of my DLC aside, as constant internet connection required to play games. If that happens, then I'm done. I mean, because I can't do anything, you know? I don't have a constant internet connection, so the end, I guess. So so constant online, is, especially given your storied college campus, uh, is pretty much going to make you go Wii U or, or potentially come to the dark side and give up your Mac fanboy card. <laughs> if I didn't need it for class, then maybe. <laughs> oh, and, and and for those of you in the listening audience that think I don't like Macs, I seem like I have to say this every five or ten shows because somebody asks. I love Macintosh. I just can't fucking afford them. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's it's nothing against Mac. It's just if you're going to game on a computer for the most part these days, as we've lamented in the past, you're going to have to do it on a PC, unfortunately. Uh, John, how about for you? What's the line in the sand? Or I mean, you're more of a PC gamer, although as you've groaned about in my what I've been playing, you know, tinkering on them is not exactly your favorite subject. Is there is there going to be some line where you're just going to basically say no to Microsoft and Sony? Now, it doesn't sound like we're including Nintendo in this. Maybe we'll all be playing Wii U's. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't I don't think so. I I think uh, I I'm really don't know what 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 would make me make a hundred percent switch. I uh, I'm, I'm if 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 the price of I don't know it, it, it would it would have to be a dollar thing I guess like if Xbox Live you know doubled in price or something like that that made you know 
that would that would make me jump ship entirely. But um, I mean, as it is, I mean, my, my internet connection is good. I you know, there's lots of services on 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 the on the home consoles. I I don't I don't think I would. I can't I can't see myself making the big switch. So it'd be more it'd be more cost. I guess I mean money money makes you know makes a lot of decisions easier, and I think it would have to hit me in the wallet to make me want to jump. Yeah, and as we talked about last week with the with the used game thing, or or two weeks ago, whenever we talked about used games, none of us play that many. So yeah, for me. I don't know. The reason I bring this up, even though those are all rumors, is like the old saying, where there's smoke, there's fire. And there's becoming too many of these rumors from too many places that aren't Capcom and Epic. It's, it always seems like it's some schmuck at Epic or some schmuck at Capcom who just feels like they got to run their mouth when we're talking about next-gen console rumors. It was the same with the 360 and PS3, um, even though back then I wasn't doing a podcast. Back then I wasn't even a console gamer. So, you know, it seems like some of this stuff's going to come true, and, and we're going to have to live with it. Uh, for me, I don't know. I'm still wanting to wait until we see an announcement. Probably it's going to be end up being at next year's E3. It seems more like the, the next one from Sony and Microsoft are coming out in 2013. But... I could see myself waiting a lot longer to purchase the next generation and spending considerable more time tinkering and playing on PC. But that's not really fair to say that that I'm abandoning consoles or that they've just gone too far because I was a PC gamer first. (laughs) And since purchasing... Uh, my latest desktop, I play a lot more PC games anyway. Um, I was more curious with you guys, you know, you know, being both born and bred console gamers. Let me ask you this. Um, if Microsoft and Sony go through with everything they that's being rumored or, or, or that they're hinting, and again, as we've said, I think Sony was going to be the only one arrogant enough to do it all. Isn't that going to just make nintendo's wii u no matter what its specs are a more attractive offer to some people john or 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 is it not really going to help nintendo yeah (laughs) the wii u is such a question i i think it could it could drive people that way to a certain extent but then again if the wii u uh doesn't live up to to the you know the high expectations that i have for it or other people will have for it it might it might not matter. You might only have it. You know, your only real choice might be one of the one of the two uh, competitors. Glacinator, how about for you? You think could you see this driving some market share over to Nintendo since they don't even have an online service for the most part? It's kind of hard <laughs> to have online DRM when you don't have an online service. Yeah, um, friend codes. You know, they suck. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. I think this may have some sort of impact, but not as hard as you may think. Oh, there's there's a whole lot of people that are still not sold on the Wii U, myself included. I just don't know anything about it. It seems just like the Wii 1.2. You know, it does. I don't. I need more information, and so as of now, I have no intent to buy it. And I I think a lot of uh hard, hardcore quotes gamers like myself may have that same 
sentiment as well because I don't really want to get a Wii 1.2. I want a Wii 2.0 or, or something different. So E3 is going to answer a lot of questions. So right now I do not know. Well, I can't remember if it was the border, if it was Gearbox and Borderlands or Ghost Recon Future Soldier, but one of those two, and I'm leaning towards Borderlands. And the news this week said that that, that their game was going to look the best on the Wii U, and that they were excited about implementing the tablet. And it wasn't just do- it wasn't just PR doublespeak, you know, like but like one of the goddamn uh, stories we'll do later in news. Uh, it, it seemed, it gave me hope. It seemed legitimate, you know, because either of those titles, Borderlands 2, even though it's probably not going to be a game I'll play, or Ghost Recon Future Soldier, which I, or whichever Ghost Recon they're doing, which I am thinking about playing, if those are going to look super slick on the Wii U and, and work well with that tablet controller, then I'd have some hope. Uh, uh, and, and if it does do as promised... I could see it driving some market share away. I I think it comes down to again, Sony. Sony's probably going to be the one that does it. Um, I'm not surprised at all by the online DRM thing. I could see that going through more than the used game thing. The used game rumor may be just something to throw a bone to whiny developers who don't get it that they're still trying to charge sixty bucks for games in a down economy. Um, and their pricing model is fucking broken, and just the mobile market is showing that that the that the pricing market for PC major PC titles and major console titles is just broken as hell. Um, especially again given the economic circumstances around the world. So, yeah, I don't. This is a no-brainer question, but I'm going to ask it because I just said it. John, with as much as they've been tinkering with all online DRM, all the always-on DR or always-on online with PC, some PC titles, especially Ubisoft and somebody else, are you really shocked that the next generation of consoles are coming with that or maybe coming with that? No, nah, I'm not. I'm not that shocked. Um, if they if they get into the whole, you know, lock you out if you're not online and to verify you own your copy tied to your console and stuff. I mean, no, I won't be shocked. I mean, they, they're they're desperate for control of of the situation. And uh, but like you say, I, I think Sony will be the will be the ones to do it first, just, just because they have that kind of gall. <laughs> well, all the all the things they've tried to do that, you know, in terms of their hardware and in all reaches of their of their of their company, um, but. Yeah, no, not shocked at all. Clay, same boat. Uh, disappointed, yes. Shocked, no. The, I, I separate the two issues. The used games is one thing, and that might actually make them a little money. You know, they they look at both of these uh, features in the next consoles as as saving them and, and making them tons more money. It's fucking bullshit. Again, your pricing model's broken. You're not gonna you're not gonna rob Peter to pay Paul. Hate using biblical phrases, but that that one actually freaking works. Um, but the online DRM thing, that one's never ruffled, rankled me because, except in two cases, I'm, my 360 is always online, my PC is always online. You know, it's not like they're asking you to do extra. 
you know, but the dumbasses labeled it as DRM or some PR schmuck or some blogger schmuck did. So it just got everybody's hackles up and the torches came out. And I mean, hey, look, you can make BioWare put on an extended, extended, whatever the fuck they were calling it in the news I read 30 minutes ago and it just pissed me off. Uh, you know, extended edition for free if you, if you rabble rouse enough. You know, so I mean, I, I don't think the outrage is going to stop them, though. So, there you go, kitties. Come 2013, 2014, you need me, I'll be on Steam. <laughs> Let's just call it that. Clip 2 comes to us from episode 111. So quite a while back. I know, because I had to do some resampling and monkeying to even get it to fit in this track. Uh, the discussion topic here is, what makes a game? Now, this discussion took place during the time when we were playing Dear Esther and the debate surrounding it on whether or not it really qualified as a game. Enjoy. Um, let's move on to our discussion topic. This discussion topic came, and, I, and I'm thinking the guys probably already figured this out, uh, from my playing of Dear Esther. It brings to your mind, is this a game or is it not? So, first, what I want from you, and John, we'll start with you. What is the definition of a game? Now, notice I just said game. Doesn't necessarily have to be video. I'm just saying, I'm just asking, what is your definition of a game? That's a good question. I would think a game, uh, you know, a few of the requirements would be some sort of interactivity, I would think, because, um, you know, I, I, I want to say it has a story, but a game doesn't necessarily have to have a story. Uh, Pac-Man is just as much a game, as, as, as much, as just as much of a game as, as Mass Effect 3 is. So I, I mean, an interactive experience that I, th I think on some level, whether, you know, just by the pure basis of the, of the you know, <laughs> what is gameplay, uh, um, and if you're based on the gameplay, what you're experiencing, it provides some sort of level, some level of escape, escapism, from you know your day-to-day -day life to occupy you in some, just in some way, whether it be you know interactive cutscenes or whether it be you know strategy, whether it be Pac-Man. Interesting, interesting. Glacinator, uh, what is your definition of a game okay uh, these are the kind of questions i really like because you kind of get to the artsy stuff and i like talking about that stuff so i wrote down some some qualifications for a game and you may disagree with these you may agree with these but i just i'm just gonna rattle them off games are entered willfully games have goals games have conflict games have rules games can be won and lost games are interactive games have challenge Games can create their own internal value. Games engage players, and games are closed to formal systems. And I know some of that, some of that may be complicated, but I mean it's it's basically really general stuff. And while I was looking at that list, I realized that there are a lot of ex exceptions to that list now because games that's not you, games you can't necessarily win or lose games anymore. I mean, my, Minecraft originally you couldn't really win or lose it. You could dig a hole in the ground and put a block on top of you, and you would nothing would ever happen. That would be the game. And so I've, I was sitting here thinking, I was thinking, 
this this is not a good list. You can't just rattle off qualifications and say this is what a game is. And so instead of looking at it from the outside in, I decided to think, why do people like games? And John mentioned that he liked being immersed, you know, in an interactive world and people like figuring stuff out and people like playing with their friends. And the one thing that is universal across all games is that games are problem solving activities. And I think we can all agree on that. But you can't just say a game is a problem-solving activity because a test is a problem-solving activity, and that's not necessarily a game. Um, you'd be hard-pressed to find people to say that a math test is a game. So I add on to that, I said, a game is a problem-solving activity approached with a playful attitude. And I think, that, I think that's as close as I can get without getting too complicated. What was the first one on your list? I didn't... On my list? Yeah. The first... Games are entered willfully. Oh, entered willfully. The willfully yes. part, I, I didn't, I didn't catch the first time. Um, so because now, you could say like a war is a game, but you know, not all yeah, people want to go to war. But not everybody enters that willfully. Um, sometimes you just get stuck or caught or yeah. sent. Um, John, back to you. Do you think the? Uh, hold on, let me rephrase that. Do you think industry wide and consumer base wide, the definition of a game has broadened? In the last 10 to 12 years? Oh, certainly. I, 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 I think, um, yeah. I, <laughs> again, I'll use my Pac-Man example. I mean, games have come so far from those initial baby steps where it was just a screen where you made, where you made a guy move from top to bottom and side to side. It's like the, the breadth of storytelling in, in games, to, in, in some games today, is it's it's so deep and so detailed when, you know, like, you know, if you could show some, I mean, just to use Mass Effect 3 as an example, you know, if you brought that game back in time and showed somebody, you know, the guy who programmed Pong, what games could be, could become as an interactive experience, it's, you know, it would just blow the head right off them and, and it would just, uh, and then, and then you have games like Dear Esther that, you know, and 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 things like you know, maybe braid and and that kind of you know turn games into art forms like just the way that they're presented and 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 the and, you know the the depth of that experience definitely absolutely. Glaze, same question. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with John. I think that the biggest deviation from the past ten to twelve years is uh, the qualification that I had that games can be won and lost, in which I already said. And there are more and more games now where you don't necessarily have to do anything to win. It's just more about playing it in itself. Does that make any sense? No, it does. Um, I, I think the concept, I think the one thing, I wasn't sure where you guys would go with your answers when I thought up this question. But I was curious whether either of you would draw a hard line in it with the winning and losing aspect. Because I see a lot of older gamers, gamers of John, Pat, and I's age, who still, and in the really young dipshits, um, who st- who still seem to think that there has to be a winner and a loser, or or, or that's how games should be. Um, and, and I think to a certain extent, not sure entirely, but I think to a certain extent we've moved beyond that. Um, okay, so... Let me ask you this, Clayson here. Um, hopefully, I've described it well enough, or you've read up enough on it. Is something like Dear Esther, or is Dear Esther itself a game? Yes. Based on my definition, yes. John, same question. 
I think so. Uh, by my, you know, it's in, an interactive experience. Ah, and that's the key. What got me to thinking about this and what got me to wanting to ask you guys, what is a game? A uh, simple question <laughs> well, on the surface of it, but in reality, we could probably actually almost do a two-hour show and bore our audience to tears uh, <laughs> on what is a game because it's 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 become so open-ended. And, and believe it or not, Dear Esther finally brought that into focus for me because I saw some people uh, on a review of it uh, going, wow, you, you don't interact with anything. You don't, it's not really a game because you don't interact and, and the graphics are pretty, but it's short. And it's like, and that whole, that, that term, inter, you don't interact with it caught me off guard or, or kind of stuck in my head because yes, you do. It's called the power of observation. And I know at, at least, John, I'm doing you good. I'm doing you a good service by priming you in that way because <laughs> The more observant and the more careful you are in paying attention to the details when when going through Dear Esther, when walking through that world, the more you will understand. And, and, and I think the deeper sense of your character's plight, you'll come to, uh, to understand and, and, and however else you react with it. The more you observe, the more you take in before the game's ending. You know, you know, the the, the better off you will be. I think. I think, and, and that's the thing. I think, Flow, Flow, Flower did it to a certain extent. Journey does it to a certain extent. Even the game with stay on the path. No, you're not supposed to stay on the path. <laughs> as pretentious and shitheaded as that was. It's broadened the definition of what a game is, and I'm and I'm happy to see it. Even though I'm not a card-carrying member of the art and croissant crowd, I'm happy to see it because I think it's going to to trickle out to other games, to to other game designers, to add elements in tra- more traditional game formats. Um. John, do you think that do you think that's the case? Do you think you will start to see this uh, kind of uh, of mechanic and gameplay trickle out to other formats? Um, do you, uh, for uh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> I, I mean, in the context you, of, you expl- explain what you mean by by formats. Do you mean like different kinds of games, or well, mean... like like taking certain aspects or certain cues? from something like Dear Esther or Journey and finding a way to make that work in, say, an RPG or a shooter. And I'm not talking about necessarily game mechanics. I'm talking about concepts like the power of observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely there. I mean, I mean, I think it's there already. Like, you take a game like like Bioshock, where where it has all those audio tapes, which are just, you know, you, go, you run around, you collect them, but, you know, the actual... What you get out of the the, the backstory of, of Rapture it comes so much from those audio tapes, and it's, it's it's a purely passive thing where you just you listen to it or you don't. And if you, but if you pay attention to the details and 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 get that story that, that arcs across the entire you know breadth of the game, it, that those kinds that's right there. I mean that that's that, that is, is listening to audio tapes a game? Not really, but I guess the you know the collecting of them is, but. 
but you 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 get an appreciation for that that kind of element in a much you know in a, in a typical shooter game. If you if you if you if you, if you strip everything away, it's a shooter, right? But the 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 story that you experience is right there. Yeah, you could uh, the cheap and e- the cheap and easy answer to that is L.A. Noir, um, but that's a whole nother story. Glaze, same thing. Do you do you think it's already out there, or do you think do you think it'll we'll see more of it? Yes, I mean, as games become more complicated, the art the artistic elements that make up that game become more complicated themselves, which in turn makes the game more complicated. So. As graphics improve, so does story, and so does you know sound, and so does everything else. And it's those specific elements that make a game a game. And as those get better, then everything else gets better. I think it's just more refinement. I, I think it takes, like, like maybe for me, maybe this is old hat to our audience and to other people, and maybe I'm the slow one. <laughs> the, maybe I'm the short bus kid. But... It it only took me like maybe a minute and a half into Dear Esther where I realized you're just an observer. That's your job. And when you focus something like that and focus something like that that intently, um, it's it's an experience I'm I'm really glad I had because usually there's so many different things going on in any video game you play that 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 maybe some of the nuances and subtleties get lost. Um, it's why I've often said with music that, you know, uh, video game soundtracks don't, aren't my cup of tea because I, uh, good music should blend in. I shouldn't know it's there. (laughs) You know, I mean, it it Mm -hmm. should fit. Um, but as you can tell, ladies and gentlemen, and I promise this is probably, well, except when John plays it and talks about it, (laughs) this is probably the last (laughs) art ethereal Dear Esther segment, (laughs) but I, I, it, it just, it was five bucks well spent, and also a complete contrast from playing that, and then like twelve hours later playing Diablo. <laughs> I mean, you, you want to talk about yin and yang? <laughs> Doesn't get much more yin and yang than that. Um, so that's been our discussion topic. The third clip also comes to us from WonderPod episode one eleven. One of my personal favorites it's uh discussing the topic of what would have happened if steam had not survived its first couple years Uh, enjoy the clip uh an interesting article also on one up wow two in a row from one up um that's a that's a banner week for them uh with me anyway for those of you that don't know uh back in 2002 2003 and really 2004 uh, Steam, when it launched, really didn't do so hot right off the bat. Some of that had to do with um, some legal wrangling between them and, Vin- at the time, Vinvindi, uh, which has now been sucked up by Activision Blizzard, uh, or they merged, or I, fuck, I can't remember. But the first two or three, four years of, this, of the uh, of Steam... We're not good, and in fact, I remember in 2004 a couple of my friends getting into it and, and buying a few of the titles that were on there, and I just went, you know, I'm going to pass for now. Um, I just didn't see, much like we're talking about with Origin, I didn't see a purpose in the service. Um, and of course, then in my own personal life, I, I went a couple years without internet because of living place and, and, and the work I was doing. I just didn't really, I kind of just 
fell out of the internet and video games in general. Um, so when I came back is when I really got hooked into the Steam thing. And, of course, it's just a juggernaut these days. Point is, and that was the point of this uh, article, is what if it had not recovered? What if Steam had died in 2002, 2003? Um, what would have that been like? Uh, would it have hurt PC gaming more? Would a PC gaming have damn near died out? Um, what would the what would the PC video gaming landscape look like in your mind, John? If if Steam had just died, you know, if if and, it, and if nothing had had come along to take its place. Yeah, I, I read I read this article and and the guy made some pretty good points, and I agree that I think that the PC market would would, would have become a lot more niche, a lot you know smaller. The the, the chance for for indie developers to get exposure and and through steam and and the way that the, the steam pricing model works for them you know you, I, I mean i'm a i'm a console gamer and i check steam almost every day just to see what's out to see what what the what and what the current deals are and I mean, there's games i have in my in my library like a dear esther you know okay admittedly i may not have played it yet but it's there i've paid the money i mean um, the Binding of Isaac is another one. I would never have, have tried that uh, if it wasn't for Steam. And I think I think uh, it it just offers an opportunity for for the for the for the I mean not just PC gaming but gaming in general to expand and grow. Glycinator, your thoughts on what uh, computer gaming, for lack of a better term, would have been like if Steam had died in its uh, younger years. Um, well, I don't think PC game would have died off entirely, like you suggested or whatever. But prices definitely would have been a lot steeper. You wouldn't have had as many amazing Steam sales, get stuff on the super cheap. Uh, and it may may very well be that computer game may have been more of a niche market, like John said. Uh, I know I didn't really play any computer games when I was younger. I mean, all I played was Roller Coaster Tycoon and Midtown Madness. Not necessarily amazing games or anything, but I got my first competent computer uh, for, that could play video games back in 2006. And one of my friends, who was a pretty big computer gamer, told me to get Steam. And being someone that didn't really know anything about computers that much, Steam was very accessible. It's someone that really had no idea what he was doing whatsoever. So not having that service there at the time would have been very detrimental to me getting into any form of computer gaming whatsoever. And I think you may have also seen a lot more resistance in the console market in terms of DLC. Uh, I know Steam definitely pioneered uh, just online content in general, just being able to download quick little snippets of stuff. And not, I definitely, I can definitely see consoles definitely having a harder time trying to accept that if Steam wasn't there. I don't know. So I don't know if it would be so much the DLC add-on packs for games. Because the, those existed, you know, they were called expansion Expan- packs. I mean, I mean, they had expansion packs, but I mean, specifically in terms of online itself. Well, in terms of no, getting away from the disc. Well, that's what I'm trying to say. I think that would, I think gamers would have accepted that because the concept was already there with expansion packs, just the concept. So getting that in a digital format may not have rankled them too much if Steam had died. What I do agree with you 100%, though, is 
there'd be no such thing as Xbox Live Arcade or PSN store if Steam had died in its infancy. Uh, yeah, that's probably a better way to say it, yeah. Yeah. You know, downloadable tight games, like like little games, like, like uh, um, yeah, easy for me to say, like NHL 3 on 3, like Alan Wake's American Nightmare, like, um, God damn it, I'll get it out. The, the one you were talking about, uh, Trials of Evolution, that's the one I've been sputtering here trying to get out. Fez, another yeah, one. Yeah, Fez again. That, yeah, exactly. I think I think that would have been much slower growth on the console side if something like Steam hadn't taken off like it did. I tell you another thing: there wouldn't be there wouldn't be sales every week on Xbox and PSN that there like there are now. When I, I when I think when I think when I first started when I first joined Xbox Live, there were no like real sales. I mean, all that you saw was like you know uh, small. You know, D- DLC tidbits like uh, horse armor and friggin', you know, extra tracks here and there might have been what's on sale. Um, but now, you, I mean, they have full games on, you know, ha- uh, half half price. And like like right now, you can get like this week's deal is um, uh, Beyond Good and Evil for half price, and and uh, shit, uh, Outland is is on for half price. I mean, those are full. I mean, they're, they're downloadable games, sure, but they're but they're, uh, you know, cheap. <laughs> so basically, it looks like the virtual console. Yeah, well, and yeah. here's yeah. here's the <laughs> exactly. thing from my perspective with Steam. When I moved back to California in 2007 and started to resume my internet side of my life, one of the biggest reasons I moved to console is I was tired of lone wolfing it. Um, seeing in the forums I belonged in at the time, seeing all those guys, Pat, Gunsage, all these guys, having so much fun together on Xbox Live is kind of more what pushed me into getting a 360 or getting into the consoles, uh, that kind of camaraderie or, 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 you know, that kind of sense of group. Because even in the groups and, and, and people I hung out with in PC gaming, there were more lone wolf. They were more a certain personality type because it took a certain personality type to want to tinker with PCs. You know, the thing John always talks about, he can't stand Steam kind of helped that out too, because there, mm-hmm. for every game Steam has, there's a Steam forum. Yep. And I noticed, like, and I think Blaze, you touched on this when you were talking about, you know, being a, a new kid on the block in PC gaming. They make it so much easier for you to be able to fix what's wrong with your games, especially when you're playing older games. It's one place you have to go. You have to go to. You know, as being myself, being an older school PC gamer, I'm used to looking all over the place or doing, you know, the kind of the Easter egg hunt from hell to figure out how to fix stuff. And I still do that in some cases. Um, but the Steam user forums and the way they've kind of set it up per game just revolutionized how much easier it is to, you know, tinker with certain things. It was great. I mean, I, I got Max Payne 1. Uh, there was an audio problem when I first started it up. I fixed it right away going to the forum. And, and even Far Cry... Um, I, I have it on disc and it didn't work. And then I, it was on like for two bucks on Steam. So I said, screw it, I'll, I'll get the Steam version. And you know they had a patch and it worked right away. Yeah, um, that one, that old RTS I was talking about, Seven Kingdoms. Steam's official thread pointed to some guys that you know made like fan mods of the game, mm-hmm. and they actually made a way for it to run on Vista Seven. Um, I think XP it was still okay, but Vista and Seven it had some definite graphical issues. And, and you know, I mean, there are so many ways Steam positively affected gaming 
in general um that that it's i think we need to stop and think a little more from time to time (laughs) how good it has been for gamers as a whole um i that's what i think kind of drew me to this article the other thing that drew me to this guy's article I don't know if you read this, John, his little uh, uh, bio blog down here at the bottom, or a little bio blurb down here at the bottom. I'm going to read it for the audience. See if it reminds you of anybody, audience, uh, or or anybody's, I should say. Dennis Farrell buys $5 games because they're on sale and rarely plays them. Using a small fraction of the money he has spent, Valve commissioned a golden statue of his, of his gullible face to rest, rest in their office's laughter room. <laughs> well, if yeah. that's true, if that's true, then there's also, um, there's also, uh, statues of me and John's face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next it's to Farrell's. It's the Keo McGee uh, wing of, of, uh, of <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure we bought him new eight, new, uh, ergonomic desk chairs for half a valve at this point, especially <laughs> after my freaking slaughter during the Christmas sale. <laughs> I like that though. I like that the guy pokes fun at himself, and it was a good article. You, you know, it, I, I I thought we'd get the discussion we just got out of it. That's for sure. Um, it's it's yeah. something that's interesting to think about as far as because we take we to a certain extent take Steam for granted these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you see it on Twitter all the time. Like you know, they announced that next week is the is the fall sale, and like you know, there's so many people going, uh-huh. oh, oh oh, my wallet is already screaming. Yeah, I just had to shut it off toward the end of the Christmas sale. I mean, realistically, I only spent like forty-five bucks. It wasn't the money; it was the when the hell am I ever going to play all of these? Mm-hmm. Like you giving jo- Roger a bad time. It sounds like I got further in Arkham Asylum than Roger did. <laughs> um, you know, the other day, mm-hmm. you just run out of time. I'm about halfway through Arkham Asylum. God only knows if I'm ever going to beat that game. <laughs> the Steam sales week should be called Pile of Shame weeks. Oh, it is. It just is. Just change the name. Everybody. Um, I think, to be honest, Roger's probably a rookie of the pile of shame phenomenon, but we will teach him in the ways of the force. <laughs> now that he's got a new computer, we'll see how he we'll see how he fares during the uh, first Steam Christmas sale. Mm-hmm. Clip three was an interesting one to me, and that's why I'm adding this tag to the end of it. Uh, that discussion took place almost three years ago uh and steam has changed quite a bit since we even had that discussion i think it's still an excellent digital service today even though it's changed it has things like green light and the early access which can cause some controversy and lead to some uh crappy games appearing on the service the other thing that's interesting is the fact that th- services that you've heard me talk about, like good old games and uh, EA's Origin, are also doing rather well. It seems that the age of digital media is here now, and whether you want still want to cling to physical media or not, there's plenty of offerings out there in the digital format, and I think that's really good for games. Now, let me see if I can find one, maybe two more clips to add to this best of show. Here's hoping. Hey, what do you know? I found another clip. This comes to us from episode 114, where we discuss, we called it the state of the industry in the post notes, but 
more of the f- kind of fear and backlash that went along with Connect and Sony's move and uh, ESPN being put on the Xbox 360 and more social stuff, non-core gamer stuff. I'm not really sure what to make of this discussion some two years later. It's always interesting to see what we were thinking at the time and what I personally was thinking at the time. Uh, I think some of my views have changed, but at the same time, I think I, I still believe a lot of what I said here. Uh, it's it's always interesting going through the archives. I'll put it that way. Enjoy the clip. Moving on to our discussion topic. Uh, our discussion topic comes from last week, and it's also being foisted upon my co-hosts and the audience because I was too lazy to write about it. Imagine that. Um, while watching E3 last week, you know, I pay attention to all forms of social media, mostly Twitter. In fact, I think this line of topic got Pat and I into the only honest-to-goodness pissing match I think we've ever had on this show between the two of us last year uh, when he was bashing on Twitter and I didn't like it. Um, but Twitter and, and, and Facebook and Google Plus and, and Cloud, and, I mean, just you name it, LinkedIn, seeing all this snark from the hardcore because not enough games were shown at E3. The the big three dared to show anything other than games. They're abandoning us, blah, 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 blah. It was, it's like the, 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 the outrage you saw when the Wii first kind of hit, hit its, hit the ground running only among all platform holders. And I almost think we've asked a variation of this question before among different, um, panelists we've had on here, co-hosts we've had on here. And so, but I still think it's it's worth looking at again because this popped into my head watching all the reaction to E3, which I think I did more of than E3 itself. Um, does the direction of consoles, especially like the 360 with Kinect, entertainment, movie stuff, the same with the Wii, Wii and PS3, you know, they're doing more things to draw in new users, trying to widen the market. Seems to me that this is an essential part of the industry growing towards mainstream or finally getting into the mainstream and maturing. But by the same token, stepping away from, you know, supposed core game, what supposed core gamers want or what, what they traditionally have done or what they traditionally should do. Uh, that's kind of the thought I had, John. A- am I correct? Mm-hmm. Do you have a different take? Is this kind of all this additional media stuff and motion control and stuff, is this something that the industry needs to do to continue its maturation process? Or do the core gamers have an argument that they're not being uh, uh, treated as well as they used to be? I I think the core gamers might have a case if the the extra window dressing on your Xbox 360 or whatever it might be, in any way, like, takes time and... and, 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 uh money, I guess, or, you know, uh, work into innovation in, in gaming and bring, making things go forward. The We've talked about it a lot of times about the, the iterations of games of, and, I mean, I mean, uh, even as a Nintendo guy, I think I think a lot of their key franchises are just becoming iterative and, you know, without, without a lot, with a lot of, not a lot of innovation. And at the, you know, Bring, and I don't know if bringing emotion control is doing that, or, or, or it's. It's hard. I'm trying to figure out how I'm trying to say this, but like 
if people complain about E3 and there's not enough games, and it's, I, 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 I would agree. A lot of those, a lot of those press conferences, I didn't think that there were enough games. Like Sony kind of did did a lot more with showing you know new stuff, where they're going, where where their where their heads are at in terms of what they want you to play. I mean, they are they are game systems at their at their at their core, for lack of a better word. But yeah, I. But then again, from the from a company's from the company's point of view, the window dressing is our money makers. You know, they're looking at what's driving. Like, like I, I do believe it came it came out in the news that more people are watching streaming video channels on their on their game systems than playing games these days. So that's I mean that's that's a pretty shocking statistic that has to which from a company's point of view, you want to monetize that as much as you can. And take advantage of that that fact. So, now I get it, but I, I from as a as a core gamer, I just hope that it's not at the at the expense of new games and new and and uh, innovation in the in the field. Good thought, and we're gonna get back to that thought in just a second. Uh, Glacinator, your thoughts on anything I said, anything John said? Well, the thing about E3 now is that if a hardcore hardcore air quotes game is announced. Whether or not it's even shown at E3 is not going to determine whether a more intense gamer is going to buy it or not. It being at E3 doesn't matter. The game being there does. The game being there. Oh my goodness. The game being there doesn't matter. As gamers, as gamers that are interested in gaming itself, we get information from other places besides E3. So it really doesn't matter what is really shown at E3. It's more just a showcase of what the console is doing. And so, if they show let's if they show Skyrim at E3, everyone will buy Skyrim. If they don't show Skyrim at E3, everyone will still buy Skyrim because we know about that sort of stuff. So I feel like that the the uh, Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo are trying to show more type more types of stuff that we, that gamers really wouldn't be that interested in because when are they, when else are they really going to have a big stage to sort of announce these games that not thing that we wouldn't necessarily necessarily be interested in. So E3 isn't just for hardcore gamers. It never was. And people forget to realize that E3 is a reflection of the industry as a whole. And right now the industry is pursuing more motion, more casual stuff. That's just how it is. So people have to realize that it's not an exclusive club, you know. To John's point, though, Glaze, I'm going to ask you this first and then we'll kick back to John. Is all of this window dressing attempt to bring in a wider audience affecting traditional AAA games or the traditional AAA experience? Is it taking away from that, or is it just in addition to that, like John was talking about? The only way that's taking away is that there's less of them. Other than that, not really. Yeah, see, I don't. Let's get to John's, and then I'll I'll, I'll chime in on that. Uh, John, do you think it's actually detrimental or taking away from the AAA games? To, to some extent, I'm, I mean, we talked we talked we talked about Rare last week, I think, a little bit briefly. I mean, those guys are hard at work improving dashboard experiences and making avatars and and all that kind of stuff. When you know, I would like to see Rare make a game <laughs> and 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 a, and a high. You know, a triple A title for for the system that you know that they're working on, and you know, I, I would I would love that. <laughs> you know. Now, see, here's here's my thing. I I don't think that's. I'm gonna get into the whole 
uh, thing here in a, in a in a minute. But I don't think that's true. I, I I think there are still plenty of quality games. Maybe not from developers we'd like to see. Rares, what you said with Rares is a great example of that. They're being asked to do things that aren't games, so that is to a certain extent affecting the core audience. You know, because of this silly window dressing crap, or whatever you want to term it. Uh, but overall, I don't think you're seeing less quality games, less AAA games, because of the console manufacturers choosing to go in different directions. I think you're seeing that simply because of gamers. Look what happens anytime they try something new. Look what happens every time they, they, they put out a new IP. Like a couple years ago, Enslaved Odyssey of the West. Didn't do worth shit. Kane and Lynch 2 did way better numbers. And Kane and Lynch 2 was garbage, by all accounts. I don't know, I didn't ever touch the thing. Um, same with King, Amular Kingdom, you know, Kingdoms of Amular Reckoning. Uh, Majin and Forsaken Kingdom. There's a ton of game, new games, new IPs, new ideas that have come out, and gamers are just all over it. You know, so I don't... I don't think that the, the, the core market or the AAA market is suffering from Connect and from Wonderbook and from Netflix. It's suffering from its own audience. <laughs> not saying they want new and saying they want change and not willing to play play things that are new and and and, uh, and, and you know bringing new ideas to the table. I mean, even as much as I have had fun making fun of of Quantic Dream and David Cage's reaction to criticism of Heavy Rain. Heavy Rain at least tried something new, got some decent love from the, you know, community for for doing that. But you look at the amount of threes and fours and franchise reboots and prequels. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's I'm sorry, a lot of it's because developers are lazy, and a lot of it's because every time they try and do something new, every time they do time they try and do something ambiguous that makes you think on your own, in other words, Mass Effect 3, um, they get crapped on for it. And that leads me to not... Or excuse me, let me rephrase that. That leads me to easily understand why console manufacturers... <laughs> are trying to broaden their audience. Can you sincerely, and John will kick this this question to you, can you sincerely blame them <laughs> for looking at other avenue, looking for other avenues of revenue when you stop and think about how much of a pain in the ass core gamers can be at times? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't, when I was making my comments, I wasn't trying to say that it's all one, one group's you know, fault or problem, if you will. But like, like I said, I mean, I don't blame them for a second for wanting to monetize uh, streaming video and, and making more, making having more of that stuff. I mean, like you know, if there's more people interested in that stuff, of course you're going to go after that, go, go after the dollars or whether they, they put ads in or whatever it might be, you know, down the road. They want people buying those systems and putting them on their shelf on their on their entertainment system. Just as much as they want, you know, people to buy the, the latest Gears of War, uh, Gears of War game to put the system on the shelves. Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You know, we're our own worst enemy at times too. But it's, you know, when, 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 when the option is not on the menu, it's, it's disheartening. Glacier, your thoughts on the, you know, core gamers kind of <laughs> have asked for this to a certain extent with their, 
um, you know, kind of uh, pickiness or whatever you want to call it. Well, I mean, think about it in terms of of food and picky eaters. Uh, you have the developer who is the parent serving the two children in front in front of it food. You have one child that refuse that wants food, keeps saying, "Give me food, give me food." He gets food handed to him, refuses to accept it, and then throws it on the ground, and then waddles over to a crib, starts banging on the cage on the cage of the crib, and yelling, "This is the worst food I've ever had. Why'd you even give me food in the first place?" And then you have the other child who will take the food, eat it, and then go, eh, and then walk away, and then that's it, the end. Uh, we complain so much as gamers; it's 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 basically ridiculous. But I do feel that sometimes a lot of that complaining is necessary there are a lot of games that can that do deserve hate i don't like saying that but it's true uh but i say i think for the most part uh we do complain a lot and i can totally see that being the source of the problem for this well there's something to be said for criticism and and to to go back to pat and i's one pissing match i got the sense with him and i'm sure he'll be more than willing to tell us if I've gotten this wrong. I got the sense with him that he was frustrated by my continuing to bring up the people who hate Connect, and I understand why 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 he uh, was, or or at least I I think I understand why he was, because it's selling so well, but yet here I am bringing up the haters. But at the same time, like you just said, Glacier, they have a right to hate it, and just because it's doing well. And just because it's 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 you know gotten past the point of failure, doesn't mean it's not fair to bring up people who who have legitimate concerns about it. Now maybe I trended a little too much toward the side of people who are just being irrational, and believe me, I still see them all over the place. But yeah, I I, I like your analogy of two kids. Um, my final thoughts on this is I've always found it funny, to a certain extent, that the same group group of gamers bitching and moaning during things like E3 are the same ones that are climbing for the industry to be taken seriously and to, to be seen as more mainstream. Um, I reference the, you know, video games are art, gamers versus Roger Ebert. You know, hilariously, what in my mind most gamers don't understand is as the industry matures and, you know, as it grows you're going to see them widen the audience. You're going to see them go away from the hardcore to a certain extent. It's just, it's not possible for core gamers to be treated or serviced, insert your own joke there for that, in the same way they were a decade ago. You know, you cannot stagnate as an industry. And, and, and I think, a, to me, a combination of the industry maturing and, and becoming more mainstream, looking for a wider audience or for the casual audience and avoiding stagnation, at least in some aspects, maybe not games being made aspects, you know, you're going to have to deal with things like connect and ESPN being on the 360 or movies all over the consoles and this and that. I, it doesn't mean you don't have to like them, but you, you know, it's getting to the point where instead of worrying about those things that you're not going to be able to do much about, uh, you know, focus on, on on what is being given to your your demographic, what is being given to the core. Because there's still plenty of solid games 
whether downloadable or triple A or even mobile for Christ's sake, that are coming to the various platforms that are good games, you know. And to me, my mind, like we already discussed, none of the media stuff is stopping that or stopping you from enjoying your AAA games, you know. I hate to say it, but we're kind of getting to the point where you're either going to have to roll and adapt with the change or you're going to get run the hell over by it. <laughs> I mean, I just, sorry. <laughs> it's just the kind of the way it is. So... I feel better now. Not sure that discussion topic is worth the shit for nothing, especially my last uh, 15, 30, 20 seconds there, but I feel better now. Rather than just snark and fight with him, it just feels so much better to sit here on my little high chair and high chair, <laughs> my death chair, and, and, and be able to kind of say what I what I think needs to be said. Uh, any final thoughts on my last bit of rambling there, John? <laughs> oh, I, I, I think you spoke for yourself, Bruce. You not touch it. Yeah. Oh, you. You neither want to be part of it or touch it. Is what you're telling me. <laughs> I'll leave it alone. Okay. I mean, if you want to bash me, fair enough. I. I'm just not. Oh no no no. I don't. You, you got some very valid points, man. Don't, don't oh, get me wrong. Okay. Oh no. I was also. I don't want you to ever think that you can't go. Jesus Christ, you're full of shit. Because um, a lot of times I am. Um, the difference is, is I'm usually willing to admit it. Uh, Glacinator, any final thoughts before we move on? <laughs> no, I'm good. Yeah, same reason. <laughs> I, I can hear it in your voice. I ain't touching it. Hell no. People might actually hear it and get mad. I don't want any part of it. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking with both of them, folks. Listening back to that clip that came to us from episode 114, I suspect many of you may think that the core gamers made a major pushback against the console manufacturers, given the fact that right now in February of 2015, Microsoft has rolled back from or killed off, depending on your point of view, Connect, and Sony doesn't do much with Move. It does a little bit with the uh, PS4 controller. Although I do have to say that if you get to looking around a lot more social aspects and and non-core gaming aspects still exist in both consoles. And, and I think the video game industry as a whole is slowly maturing away from what its target audience was 10 years ago. Uh, I think some of that target audience is adapting to how gaming is today, and I think some are kicking and screaming and crying like big man babies. I probably don't need to get into all the things that have happened, say, in 2014 that would involve those man babies, but I, I, I think gaming, as I sit and observe it on an almost daily basis, is changing. Sure, maybe it's not via Connect and via Sony Move or even some of the VR stuff, but I think it's changed radically in the last three years, which I screwed up in the intro. I said two years. Maybe radically is not the right term, but I definitely think it has changed. Uh, of that, there is no doubt. And it's going to continue to change. It has to. What those changes will be and whether we like them or not, time will tell. This last clip comes to us from episode 96. And what's interesting about it is it was not the clip I'd originally intended to take from that episode. But upon listening to it again and seeing the discussion we had on copying and less than ethical behavior at the time from Zanga in regards uh, to a mobile game, 
I was fascinated by the conversation and, and our hesitancy, let's say, in it. Enjoy. Speaking of simulation and other things of that ilk, I'm not sure if you fine folks are aware of the dust-up between Zanga and... Damn it. I have it on my phone, too, and who in the hell was it? Um, Nimblit, Nimblebit, the developer of Tiny Tower. Basically, Tiny Tower is this awesome little game. It's a sim game, imagine that, where you create a apartment tower, and you get little people, the denizens or bitizens, whatever they call it, to live in it. Um, unfortunately, my Tiny Tower died in a tra- tragic accident called. I had to update my phone, so all those people got sent to the vortex of iPhone hell, wherever that is. They made the game. Uh, it's probably been out about eight months now. And good old Zanga, maker of Farmville, Everythingville, Glacier and I are still trying to get them to make Pornville. We're not having any luck. Um, uh, decided to make a clone of Tiny Tower. And, of course, this caused a shitstorm, as it often does. Oh, you're copying our game. Oh, this and that. It's happened before with a bunch of iPhone games and Zanga games and this and that. All I need to read you is this one quote from the CEO of Zynga, Mark Pincus. He has responded to the recent plagiarism accusations by saying that the social game developer's modus operandi isn't to rip off other titles, but to refine and improve them so that they're the best on the market. The rest of the news story is just basically what I was recapping there for you. Funnily enough, even though I think what they've done is unethical as shit... I don't think he's wrong. We've talked a ton about there's nothing new under the sun and everybody borrows from everybody else and this game and that game's just a Halo clone or a COD clone or whatever clone you want to call it. And so, you know, like I said, ethically I can't agree with him. It was pro- it was a low move on Zanga's part. Although, trust me, most of the people that have played Tiny Tower will not be touching the Zanga clone. But, John, setting ethics aside, is he correct <laughs> in that they've just basically taken it and making it made it their own, which plenty of other game developers have done without this kind of flap? Or is he completely off his rocker? Yeah, that's... <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not a lie, if you believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, I, think he's, I think he's pretty well right. I mean, it's... It's 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 definitely nothing new that people would directly, quote unquote, rip off another game. I think uh, I'm pretty sure I talked about that Explosion Man ripoff game, uh, Max Explosion, that came out uh, a while back, which was uh, by Capcom, which was a, it's exactly like Explosion Man, and uh, they I think they had a similar thing, a similar statement where. They said it's not a ripoff; it's a refinement. It's our own take on on a genre, and yeah, I don't know. It, it's greasy, but it doesn't mean it's not true. I, I'm I'm hearing in your voice the same quandary I've been having with this whole thing. My problem is, and 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 you could branch this into a lot of gaming issues I've been following in the last couple of weeks. We see this all the time, maybe not as blatantly. And just kind of turn a blind eye, shrug shoulder, uh, meh to it. 
but I have a huge problem with how greasy, slimy, and unethical it is. But at the same time, I know I've let other things slide. <laughs> you know that might. You see what I'm saying? So I'm kind of was curious. I'm hearing the same kind of quandary. It sounds like in your in your head that I'm having yeah. in mind. Yeah. Glacinator, are you kind of in the same boat as John or I? As John and I? Good God. Or do you just see this differently? I, I pretty much agree with you guys. I mean, as an as an artist, you have people replicating stuff all the time. So this this happens a lot. And so while it is in bad taste... He he is telling the truth. So, um, <laughs> Glacier sounds just like John and I. <laughs> I mean, like it's it's not you can't really say anything because it's not necessarily wrong, but it's like why you know? It, I don't have words to put into how I feel about this. Yeah, because it, we all have ethics. Yeah, it's kind of like to me, and I, and I'm not gonna open this can of worms fully. It's kind of like to me the people that go. Pirate the big evil corporations. Don't pirate indie guys. Now, wait a fucking minute. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah. understand the logic behind it, but again, then, it, but then again, at the same time, it doesn't. That that's kind of playing favorites, you know. And I think we do the same thing with copying and 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 other thing. Now, like with actually, John mentioning Max Explosion is a good one. Because I've seen the Zanga Tiny Tower clone, and it's definitely been Zangaized and changed enough. What got Max Explosion in huge trouble, and Capcom shouldn't have tried it, was it was a de- dead-on copy. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, as far as I know, it got ripped out of the App Store. No, I, I think it's still around. Oh, is it? Did it survive? I, the last I'd heard when I quit paint, when my internet attention span went gonzo, um... It had survived, but but maybe not. Or excuse me, it had been taken off, but but maybe it didn't. I I like I said didn't keep up with it. But yeah, I, I'm just I'm glad to see that the three of us are kind of on the same page because it's like, and I've gotten in trouble for this before. It's like I think that the CEO of Zanga there, Mr. Mark Pincus or whatever, is this slimy bastard son of a bitch. But at the same time, it's really hard for me. To, it's really hard for me to have a clear head not going, yeah, he's also kind of right. And you start thinking of things that you know are kind of a copy, but you enjoyed it anyway. You know, I, yeah, boy, that's a that's a rough one. I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, we give you a ton of ways to contact us toward the end of the show. Maybe you can tell us what you think about the uh, Clone Wars. Yeah, that's right. I slipped in a Star Wars reference. Batman would be proud. Um, <laughs> if he on. makes Pornville, I'll forgive him. You know, as sleazy as this dude's coming off, they may do it. There's still hope. That was one of the best episodes we ever did where we were talking about Farmville, this and that, and Pat's going on about taming his animals, and Glacinator out of nowhere just pops up and goes, I want Pornville. The like, most purest, <laughs> nicest person among us just <laughs> out of nowhere. The greatest thing ever. That was the final straw on the camel's back. Yeah, I, I know. It. Pat and I take a, a lot of credit or blame for pretty much ruining you. So there you go. That was a clip from episode 96 discussing ethical behavior, copying, 
how Zanga was kind of being a bunch of dicks to the people of Tiny Tower. Of course, now there's Tiny Death Star and all kinds of games like it. Interestingly, in the last uh, two or three years, I think the copying versus ripping off issue has only gotten worse, uh, especially with the rise of some indie games, Steam Greenlight, Steam Early Access. You see a lot of things going on that it's really tough to call sometimes whether it's just copying and taking something and making it their own or flat ripping stuff off and not giving credit to the people who created it originally. I I struggle with that both uh, in internet stuff and everyday life because there are a lot of times where I will take things that have previously been created or take thoughts and ideas and use them myself Now, my key phrase, and you heard it just a minute ago, is take it and make it your own. And by that I mean, yes, you may be taking something uh, already done or already thought of, but change it. Make it truly yours. Make it something better than it originally was. And of course, if there's an artist or a creator connected to the original source of your idea... Uh, talk to them, credit them for for the work that they've already done. Uh, there's nothing wrong with with borrowing or copying if you do it right, if you handle it in the right way. I, I think that debate we had well over three years ago is still relevant today. And it's, it's, it's just taking the time to use a little common sense and be wise about it. Give credit where credit's due. Don't be a jerk. Yes, there's always going to be outrage over copying or, oh, you ripped off COD and all that. The hive mind's always going to have that. But if you handle it right, which in my mind Zanga did not at the time, uh, there, there, there's ways you can make it work. So there you go. And that is another best of show in the works. Pretty amazing. It's been two years since we've done a best of yeah there's been some filler shows and two-man shows and other things but the best ofs are the court of last resort as far as getting something for you to listen to yes i know they're a rerun essentially but we really really appreciate the listening audience we probably don't say it enough so we like to get you something It was either this or one of my crappy videos, and I felt that this was probably a better call. Um, The guys, Glacinator and John, give their time freely, and so when they're not available or busy, I'm not going to stress them about showing up. It's not fair. It's not right. So, best of show. We will be back next week with a regular show, as far as I know right now, as of this recording. And let's close it out with a normal closeout spiel. If you'd like to get in touch with us, there's a million ways you can do that. We have a Facebook. It's WonderPod Online. Uh, just send us a friend request. You can become part of the Silent Bot Army, or you could break the trend and become part of the Vocal Bot Army, maybe. Uh, we have a website. It's WonderPodOnline.com. WonderPodOnline.com. I post the podcast there, which includes an embedded player. If you don't like downloading MP3s, there's also videos there, few posts here and there. It's kind of on the downside right now, but that's what happens. It's nature of the beast. We are on iTunes. If you want to download the show, obviously you got it some way, but 
still, go give us a rating, whether you like us or don't. If you don't like iTunes, we're on archive.org, and that's also the best place to find the entire catalog, which I think is up to uh, probably close to 250 recordings of different types, all worth a listen. We have a YouTube channel. It's the WonderPod Online YouTube channel. Uh, my personal YouTube channel, Bruce McGee. We have uh, the 36We YouTube channel, Glacinator's YouTube channel, Olivia made this YouTube channel, which then you can go to her boyfriend Chris's YouTube channel, which my moron ass keeps forgetting to look up the name of, even when I'm recording in my own space. I'm a jerk. Uh, I think we I, we have a Twitter account. It's at WonderPod Online. Not sure if I said that yet. If none of that works for you, we have an email address. It's WonderPod at WonderPodOnline.com. Wonderpod at wonderpodonline.com or you can follow my silly ass on Twitter at O-R-I-G-I-M until episode whatever the next one is sorry for people I am out of here have a good weekend